Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Anybody dealing with allergies lately? See those hands, everybody? Yeah, it's the weather. It's going like hot, cold, all that sort of stuff. The trees don't know what to do. My nose does not know what to do. Like a week or so ago, we were, we were at my in-law's house and I woke up and I had like allergies bad. Just uh, it attacked me out of nowhere. You know, all of a sudden I'm snotting everywhere and my eyes are itching and it was just, it was brutal. And since I wasn't at home, I had to borrow some medication. And so I asked my, my mother-in-law for an allergy pill. She gave me one. I don't know what it was. It was real small. And, um, and I took it. And the thing you need to know about me is that uh, I am really, really sensitive to medicine. Really sensitive. You know, like some of you probably, you'll take like, an, like a four adult extra strength Tylenol or Advil or something for a headache or something like that. Me, I'm like a baby Tylenol, like half. And, and it'll work, it'll work for me. Cause I just, I'm really sensitive to medication. And so whatever it is that she gave me uh, worked. My, my nose was not watering, eyes stopped itching, but it worked really well. And I, I was just a zombie the rest of the day, just zapped, had no energy. I'm fairly convinced that this was a horse allergy pill. And um, the rest of the day, I don't know, do, do horses have allergy pills? They look like sometimes they need it. And so the rest of the day, I was just walking dead. I could not function. I could not have a conversation. I could not think about anything except for, I wanna go to bed. That, that was it, you know, I just wanted to go to bed. And being that we were in North Texas, my, my family, my wife and my sons, they decided in this state that the, the, the best thing for us to do that day would be go to the largest outlet mall in North Texas, which, is, which sounds so fun, even when I'm not on allergy um, you know, pills. And so we went there and, uh, and we went into a Dallas Cowboys fan shop, all right? It's, it's like Disneyland for adults. And, um, and even though it's one of my favorite stores to go into for obvious reasons, I walk in the door and I immediately just walk in and sit down. Uh, it wasn't even a chair. It was just the bottom of a display. All right. I'm just sitting at the feet of Emmett Smith or something. And, and I sit down there and all, like I said, I just kept thinking, just, just you, you don't need to breathe through your mouth so much. Your nose works. You know, that's what I was thinking. And don't go to sleep and, uh, you know, be, be kind to strangers. That's just kept what was going in my mind. You ever been there? You ever been that exhausted? Just, I could barely keep my eyes open right? I've been there a number of situations in my life. Maybe you relate to these, like a newborn. You ever had a newborn? You know, those little terrors? They, um, they won't let you sleep all night long, all night long. They just keep waking you up for no reason. Or a puppy, if you've ever had a puppy, they do the same thing. They do the same thing. That's why whenever I see our dog in the day, they sleep during the day. They keep you up at night and they sleep during the day. And that's why whenever I see our dog sleeping in the day, all peaceful, I wake him up because that's what he deserves. I'll swap by him and Landry, Hey, hey, do you hear that? Do you hear that? No? Okay, go back to sleep, you know, and just walk away. You can't do that to children, by the way. Don't do that to your infant. Or when, when I was in student ministry, we did these things, they were all-nighters, lock-ins. You ever been to a lock-in? Maybe as a, a kid or as an adult? Who came up with the 
that idea. It's a ridiculous idea. I remember one we went to, there was like uh, 200 kids and me at a skating rink. That's a dumb idea. Nobody even came to know Jesus that night, you know, and so just totally pointless. And um, the next day, you could have had surgery on me without an anesthesiologist. I was just that tired. Or how about when you get back from vacation? Anybody ever come back from vacation and need a vacation? Yeah, we go to the beach and I will carry the beach stuff for five people. That's five chairs, umbrella, um, towels, toys, sunscreen, all this kind of stuff. Carry it from the parking lot across the, you know, the bridge or whatever and into the sand. And, and of course, when you, when you get right on the other side, that's not where we're sitting. We're sitting down there, you know, on another island. And so I just keep walking and walking. This isn't, this isn't relaxing. This is Navy SEAL training and it's exhausting. You come home, you want to you take a break. If you can picture that, if you can be in that space where you are that exhausted, that tired, it is, it is, uh, it's too late for coffee, too early to go to bed. You know what I'm talking about? It's like a weekly occurrence, right? Too late for coffee, too early to go to bed. Picture that and hear these verses. Verse three of chapter four. He, Jesus, left Judea and went, to, went again to Galilee and he had to travel through Samaria. Pause. He didn't have to geographically. It's not like the road was closed off. It wasn't the only path to uh, Galilee. He just chose to for some other reason, other than geography. We'll get to that in a minute. Verse five, and so he, he came to the town of Samaria called Sakar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there and Jesus worn out exhausted. He could barely keep his eyes open. He's so tired that everybody else goes into town for some Jimmy John's and Jesus isn't even interested in eating. He's that tired. He's not even hungry. So worn out from his journey, he sat down at the well and it was about noon, right? It's just one hour before nap time. As he's talking about being that worn out, that exhausted, we really paint this picture of the humanity of Jesus. He's sitting there at the well, not having eaten not having enough sleep, just exhausted. And if he is like me and like you in those moments, it's everything he can do to just stay awake and don't be bothered, right? Hopefully nobody bothers him. And yet, as you know, the story is going to unfold in such a way that he is going to be at least mildly bothered by a person who has a ton of questions. And the questions that are asked and the answers that are given end up answering the questions all of us have. What we end up seeing is this huge question that's already brought up in the story of John. And in fact, what we see is not only what Jesus values and what he loves, but more specifically, who he values and who he loves. Let's pray together. And then we will take a look at John in chapter four. Jesus, we are so very thankful to gather together and to make much of you. God, I pray for those who have come in this morning, rested, they had their coffee, they had at least eight hours, and God, they, they feel great. They're ready to hear, they're ready to learn. God, I pray that, they, that something that is said today would challenge them, that they would grow, that they would mature in their Christian faith. God, I pray specifically for those who are coming in here weary, exhausted, beat down, Right now feels like a good time to take a nap. God, I pray that they would find a place of safety, of rest, 
if it's all they can do to just gather, that they would know that that's okay. That not only would they find physical rest, be in a place where they are not judged, be in a place where they are accepted. God, I also pray that they would find spiritual rest, that they would know that, that in your grace, that you are, you are for them, that you do love us. And so God, most of all, I pray that we would leave here today again renewed, anchored and accepting of that reality that you do actually love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. So John chapter 4, I'm going to read 1 through 9 to begin with. I already read a few of these verses, so they'll sound familiar to you. If you have your Bible, you can follow along there, but they'll also be on the screen behind me. The Bible says this, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. He left Judea and went again to Galilee. And he had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. These are ancient Jewish folks that they are talking about. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. And it was about noon, afternoon. It's about lunchtime. Verse 7, And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said. Give me a drink, Jesus said. He probably said it more like that, right? Give me a drink, Jesus said. Because his disciples had gone into town for, like I said, Jimmy John's. In verse 9, And how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, because Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Uh, that word associate could either mean talk, hang out, be seen in public. It can also mean will not use our utensils. Y'all don't use our cups, and, and you don't have a cup. And so how, you know, that's what's going on here. See, here's one of the real benefits of what we do here at Second Baptist. We intentionally go through books. There are, um, there's another approach in which you would pick a topic and, and you would gather around that topic, like love or uh, forgiveness or money management or something like that. And then we would preach sermons that deal with that topic. And I'm not necessarily saying there's anything wrong with that. There's not. It's just this is a better approach, all right? And I mean that convictionally. The where we're going to go through, we're going to pick a book and we're going to read it the way that the author meant us to read it, like in order, okay? And from what we see last week, when uh, Cooper in the 8 o'clock and Donnie in the 930 and 11, uh, they, they preached John chapter 3. And so it's with that knowledge that we go into John chapter 4. And both of them did an exceptional, a phenomenal a job. In the eight o'clock, Cooper more focused in on the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And that is in part right now, what I want you to pick up and carry with us as we go into chapter four. Now you'll remember that conversation with Nicodemus is what dominates chapter three. John chapter three, when I say that, most often you were gonna think about verse 16, which I'm gonna to get to in just a minute, John three sixteen. But maybe we don't as often remember that Jesus says that or it is said or it is written in the context of a conversation with Nicodemus. Now you'll remember that Nicodemus was a respected, influential man, that he was well known. As Cooper pointed out, he was a Pharisee. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. He was a ruler. This guy is well known, probably wealthy, very influential dude that has this conversation with Jesus in the night. Now, why did he have the conversation with Jesus in the night? I don't really know. And, and none of us really know. But I do know this. 
at night, you're supposed to be what? Asleep. But there was something that drove Nicodemus to, while everybody else was asleep, he had to talk to Jesus. Has that ever happened to you? You ever, um, you ever got something going on in your mind, something going on in your heart? Just won't let you go to sleep. You gotta, you gotta talk to Jesus, right? Or you gotta go talk to somebody. Or you death scroll on Instagram or something like that. But there's something that kept him away. That's how I see that. So there's this at night conversation and it is intentional. Nicodemus goes out and searches and finds Jesus. He asks him some questions. There's a little bit of confusion. There's some stuff about water and Jesus tries to explain that. Nicodemus is sort of following along. And then in that context, we have this verse, verse 16 and 17, which Donnie really highlighted at the 9.30 and the 11. He really focused in on these verses. You know these verses. John chapter three, verse 16 says, in the following verse, God so loved the world, the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You know that verse. You know that idea. That's what's going on in chapter three. That's what we're supposed to pick up and carry with us into chapter four. But chapter four is similar. It's just really different. It's similar and yet it's different. In chapter four, it's not a well-respected, influential, powerful, probably rich Jewish man. It is a woman and she is Samaritan and she is a stranger. And all of those factors are incredibly scandalous when it's in the first century. It's really hard for us to truly grasp the level of scandal that it is just to write these words down. That Jesus would talk to a stranger, period. That Jesus would talk to a stranger that is a woman, period. That's scandalous. But that Jesus would talk to a stranger that is a woman who is a Samaritan is truly out of this world crazy. Meghan Markle and the royal family is not nearly as scandalous as what's going on in this story right here. And that we can kind of understand, right? So this massive level of scandal is happening in chapter four. In fact, she sort of alludes to this in verse nine when she says, Jews don't even associate with us. You're gonna ask me for a drink? Y'all don't even, y'all won't be seen for us. She's not respected. In fact, all throughout history, she is deeply disrespected. So normally when chapter four is brought up, it is zeroed in, focused in. The main idea about this woman is that she is promiscuous. That's the concept. Although that's not truly all that supported by the text. In fact, the fact that she has five husbands is the thing that most people zoom in. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. She is deeply disrespected throughout all of history. For at least 2,000 years, she's been considered... um, a woman of ill repute, uh, you know, whatever, whatever word you want to call her. That's the way that people talk about her. Nicodemus is named. She's not even named. She doesn't even have a name. This happens during the day, not at night. It is not intentional. She doesn't go down there looking for Jesus. She goes down there looking for water, but it's happenstance. It's just the way that it happens throughout life. And so if you pay attention to John and what he's doing here, he's actually calling into question the penultimate idea of John chapter 3 that so God so loved the world and it's almost as if the author if the reader is asking but does he really does he really love the world 
And then we'll get to John chapter four and read that. Cooper taught us last week, his main thought was this, having almost everything is not enough. It's a great question to ask for chapter three, but in chapter four, what we're gonna ask is, what if you have next to nothing? Having almost everything is not enough to be good with God, but what if you have almost nothing? Will you get an audience at least with the Messiah? So you see that they're very similar and you see yet that there are some very strong contrasts. And if we could just zero in on those, then we might understand more about what John is trying to communicate to us. And so instead of focusing in on the content of her character, which is honestly the way that most people do and mostly based in conjecture, let's take a look at the content of the conversation. Let's look at that, verse 10 through 15. Verse 10 through 15 says, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket. And this well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and their livestock. Really quick side note here. It's really interesting that she says Jacob, our father, because Jacob's name is turned to Israel. And Israel is the father of the Jews. Jacob, the father of the Samaritans, Israel, the father of the Jews. It's really a fascinating sort of comment that she makes there. I can't help but think that it was a little cutting. She tried to, she, she jabbed at Jesus there. And it's an effective jab. Verse 13, Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give them or him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, and that's how she says, that sounds awesome. Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I don't have to come here and draw water again. Obviously, when we read this text, obviously you understand, as I understand, Jesus is not talking about water. He's not talking about H2O. He's talking about something different. And, and you don't have to have a theology degree to understand what he's talking about. He's talking about like a, like a spiritual refreshing, something that is deeply needed within our souls. That's what he's um, trying to offer her, but she keeps it on the superficial. She keeps it on the, the physical, right? She's thinking about the physical need that she has, water, which we all need. And it's not just that physical water, but the physical effort it takes for her to get that water. It would, she, would need a, she would need a jar, a clay jar, a large jar. The larger the jar you can carry, the better that um, you wouldn't have to make as many trips. And yet the larger the jar, the heavier the jar. She has to carry that thing all the way down to the well, lower a bucket all the way down there, fill that bucket with water, then bring that bucket up and then dump that bucket into the jar and then carry this formerly heavy, now super heavy jar all the way back home. And you gotta keep doing that if you need more water. This whole effort, she's thinking physically, I need something else. Physically, I need whatever it is you're selling, I'll buy. And I don't think we should gloss over that. We tend to in church, right? We just talk about the spiritual, the emotional. We don't really talk about the physical, but man, God will use often, God will use the physical to draw us toward him. Sometimes it's a, you know, a cancer diagnosis. Sometimes it's the threat of not having a job so you can't provide for your children. You can't provide a home over their head. You can't provide food for their bellies. You can't provide water and the things that they need. Sometimes it's these physical ailments, these things in our bodies that remind us of our humanity and our need for God. This is the reason that 
Fasting is a spiritual discipline because in our hunger, we are supposed to draw, it's supposed to draw our attention towards God, God Almighty, that we need him more than we need food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God. We need God deeply. And so we should not gloss over this. And in fact, the reality is that a lot of us come in here today with some sort of physical need, some sort of physical ailment. You ever been, um, you ever been in pain? Like your leg hurts and so you're in a bad mood. So does that ever happen to you, you know? Somebody's like, what's wrong? You're cranky. So like, yeah, my toe hurts, okay? So deal with it. I'm mad at you right now, okay? You are the cause of this toe ache, you know, that, that sort of thing. The other day I sat down, I sat down and I, I instantly felt this relief in my lower back. And I'm like, dude, you're 40. You're not supposed to be feeling like, oh, that's good. Gives a little weight off, you know, that sort of thing. It's just, it's just this reminder constantly. I have a cold sore right now, and so I'm really fighting being cranky the rest of the day, you know? It's just this reminder that physical, emotional, spiritual, it's all connected together, and she can't see past that. She has a physical need, and Jesus meets her right there at the well, right where that physical need is. Cancer, grief, fear, pain, doing without. There are all these needs that we come in here, and they go a little further than that. Look at verse 16. The conversation takes what seems like to be a turn. And when we read this, this, it feels like they're jumping all over the place. But you, you ever had a conversation with anybody that does this? It just goes from this topic to this. That's normal. It's not weird. It's normal. 16 says, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. And he says, you answered correctly. I don't have a husband. Jesus said, for you have five husbands, or you had them, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. It's true. Super awkward, right? Jesus bringing up stuff. If you're standing there, you'd be like, Jesus, why are you? That's weird. You know, that kind of thing. Go get your husband. I don't know. I got five. And this is usually, these few verses is all we think about with her. And we ought not. It's not necessarily an idea that she is promiscuous. The five husband thing has a number of logical answers to it. It, there, there's like the idea that like in the first century, the, the most common reason she would have this many husbands is first and foremost, she could have been widowed. She could have been widowed. By the time that Jesus is on the cross, he, he gives Mary, his mother, to John, his friend. He would have given, he wouldn't have needed to do that at all if Joseph was still alive or around. You know, those kind of things. So it begs, it, it, this was a common thing widows. It was a super common thing back then. So maybe some of these five are the result of widow. The other thing is just divorce. You know, back to Mary, you remember at the birth story where Joseph thought that he might divorce her secretly, that this might be the best path. This, this might be the best thing that I needed to divorce her secretly. But baked into that concept is that Mary would have had no choice in it that Joseph would have just been able to divorce her and that's the way that it went back then. And so it is logical, it is possible that some of these five are nothing more than just not marks of some sort of sin that she has committed, but instead marks of a really hard life. The sort of life that leads people to not trust other people. The sort of life that leads people to be bitter and to be walled up and to be hurt and to be isolated and, and withdrawn from certain relationships. We ought to read that five husbands and not judge her. But at the very least, we should begin in a space where we go, man, that's not fun. She comes to this well with all of these relational 
issues, all of this relational baggage. Now that part about like, and the one you have now, that's not your husband. That part there, that's, that's sinful. That's not right. Living with a, a person, sleeping with a person that is not your spouse is sin. All throughout the Bible, that has always been that way. And Jesus doesn't shy away from that. But if you loved this girl, if you knew her, I think a lot of you would sit there and go, yeah, she makes a lot of choices I wouldn't make. However, she's had a really, really difficult life. You're not condoning what she does, but you understand it more fully. And I think for 2,000 years, we haven't allowed her to do that. We haven't stood there next to her. The other thing is that whole issue about it being noon in the heat of the day, the middle of the day. Typically, women would uh, you know, go down to the well together in a group early in the morning when it's still cool out. And they would do that for protection, right? They would also do that because women like doing things in groups. And so they would go down there and they'd get that water and it was cool and they'd bring it back. She's in the middle of the day. So that could be, she just ran out of water. She needs more water. Or it could also mean that she wasn't included in that group. She was isolated. She was pushed out. She was by herself for whatever decisions, I don't know. But all I know is that when I look at this story, we move from the physical needs to these relational heart needs these relational heart issues that she has that all of us have. We all have relationships that have fallen apart for whatever reason and and they created walls within our hearts that we have a hard time trusting other people, that we walk into situations and that, that, that we're not real sure about all of the circumstances and we may even cause problems in these relationships because of the hurts that we felt in these relationships. We're all a lot like her. We have relational baggage. Some of you got relational baggage the last couple of weeks. You went and hung out with your extended family and came back with more than just presents, you know? Came back with all sorts of baggage because she didn't say something or he, he intentionally left your child out of whatever, you know, that sort of stuff. It's all growing, it's festering. We're like her. It's relational issues, these physical issues. The relationship takes another turn. Verse 19, he says... She says, sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. She's a smart one, right? You know stuff. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place of worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman. Doesn't it always sound super derogatory when Jesus says woman? He doesn't mean it that way. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. But we worship what we do know because salvation comes uh, from the Jews first. But an hour is coming and it's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's logical. It's possible that she was... um, diverting the conversation, right? Jesus touched a nerve. He shined a light on something she don't want to talk about no more. You know, he's like, hey, hey, let's talk about water. And she's like, great, let's talk about your relationship. She's like, hey, no, it's not, you know. It's possible that she jumped to religion. It's also possible, and this is the way I tend to read it, that the water thing was just conversation. The, the relationship thing, she started to figure out something. And at that point, she's like, no, you know stuff. You know stuff and I have questions. I have stuff I want to ask you. So listen, where should we worship? That's the first one I have. Where are we supposed to worship? Like this mountain or Jerusalem? It's a procedural question. It's the way that we tend to approach religion. 
It's the way that we tend to approach our faith. There's all sorts of Christian denominations. We choose Christianity. You chose Christianity. You're not an atheist or a Buddhist or a, or, or a Muslim. You have chosen Christianity. But even within Christianity, there's all these denominations. Which one's the right one? Which one's the, which one's the right one that you're supposed to go to? Is it the big, beautiful Catholic church or the, the somber church of Christ? Is it, is it the non-denominational exciting church? Is it the Baptist church? Because that's what we've always been in. You've got to make these choices. Which one's the right one? And then you go to that one and you're like, okay, what time? I found the one, I found the denomination I like. Which, which one of that denomination? Now which time? Eight o'clock, they're super holy. I'm not nearly that holy, right? And 11 o'clock is lazy. So I'll go to the 9.30. He's already practiced once and he's not tired too bad. So this will be the good one. All right. And so you go to that, you make that choice. What am I supposed to wear? Suit and tie. That's what my dad wore, but I don't really feel like that anymore. Um, ties, ties choke me and jackets make me... Um, um, hot. That's personal. That's what I'm saying. Um, and, and so I don't want to wear that. I don't want to do that. Which English version am I supposed to read? I showed up at this church and I've never even heard of what he's saying up there, you know? That sort of stuff. We, it's procedural. Which song? Which this? Which that? How am I supposed to do this? And Jesus doesn't answer that question. In fact, his answer is super scandalous in the response. He, of course he says, it's not the mountain. You guys are wrong. But he also says, Jerusalem, that's going away, which is huge. It's an explosion in the middle of that. Nicodemus is like the ruler of Jerusalem. Jesus is a Jew. They believed Jerusalem was the holy city. And Jesus is like, yeah, it is, but not for long. All right, we're going to change some stuff, me and dad. That sort of idea. But he says, it's not really about the procedure. It's about the person, spirit and truth. That's what the father wants. It's not really about the ritual it's about the relationship and hear me on this procedure and ritual they're important i am a baptist i'm a christian on purpose all right i chose that i believe that based on what scripture teaches i believe this is closest to what scripture wants us to do i believe that they're important but they're not the most important jesus spirit and truth he meets her in this physical need. They start talking about these relational needs, which drive a lot of us towards needing God. And then they get right to that heart issue. You've got to follow God in spirit and in truth. Look at verse 25 through 26. I think she sees. I think she, her eyes are opened up. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. John put a quote in there, who is called the Christ. Messiah is Hebrew. Christ is uh, Greek. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I I have no real reason for this. In the Greek, there's no punctuation. So there's no period or question mark there. I just choose to believe or I choose to see it that this is not a statement. It's a question. Because she asks a bunch of questions. She's a questioner. The woman says to him, I know, I know that the Messiah is coming, right? And he's going to answer these questions. She looks at him after he met her in that physical need, after he helped her in that relationship after he answered those spiritual questions. And she goes, are you the Messiah? Because I have questions. I have deep hurt. Are you the one I've been waiting on? And look at that last verse. I am him. And that's such a great answer. She goes, are you 
the deepest thing that I knew. It's really interesting when you read the New Testament, the way that people talk about the Messiah, the Mashiach. You know, it sounds better if you say it in Hebrew, HaMashiach, you know. The Mashiach is this, is, this, is this figure that's going to come and he's going to, he's going to dispel Rome. There's some of the, the followers of Jesus that are like, hey, are we killing Romans yet? Because that's my favorite part. Are we doing that, you know? They really want to, you know, get some swords and stuff. There's other followers of Jesus that are like, are you going to reestablish the throne of David? It's time we bring that back. That was my favorite kingdom. Let's make David back in charge. They kind of say that sort of stuff. Other ones are like, is this the time where we're, we're setting up the kingdom right now where God is going to rule and reign over commerce and religion and interpersonal family relationships where God himself will sit upon the throne? Are we doing that yet? Is that the part that we're doing? That's all this like drive that these people wanted from the Messiah. She says, I really hope you're the Messiah because I got a bunch of questions has nothing to do with killing anybody, has nothing to do with the reign of God on his throne. It's because she has deep-seated questions. Why? Why did you take my husband? Why did you do that? Why do I have to struggle through this pain? Why, Why was he healed and I still have the same illness? Why don't I ever make enough money? Why can't I get a job? I have these deep questions. You said you would provide. Why? Do you actually love me? She has those deep seeds because I have a feeling that none of y'all want to kill any Romans. None of y'all are really all that worried about the throne of David. But I would say that probably you have those kind of questions. Physical, relational, spiritual questions. And you come to the Messiah and you're thinking the same thing that she's thinking. Good, I'm glad you're here, sit down. I have some questions. You know, Nicodemus is a cool guy. I like Nick, nobody knock on Nick, all right? He's a good guy. I would wanna be his friend. He seems smart, he's like in charge of things. He's a guy you could call if you get, you know, in prison or jail. And um, he's gonna bail you out, that sort of stuff. He's got advice, he knows stuff. He's probably wealthy, he's probably got the big pool. He's got cool stuff, it's just, I'd want to be around him. I just don't relate to him. But her, I relate to. And so here's what I want to leave with you. Two things I want to leave with you. The first one is meeting Jesus as, as it does, as it always does, changed her life. And so I want to encourage you to be like her. She preached and people believed, lots of people. If you have to pick one to be like, be like her. All right, Nicodemus is great, but man, she's amazing. Speak like her, live like her. As far as I can tell, she's the first non-Jew to convert. Run to Jesus and ask him his questions and what, uh, your questions. And once he answers the question, you go and tell everybody you know in your world. That's what happens later on in the story. She turns around and leaves the water, leaves the jug, and runs back. She tells everybody in that town, come and see. I, we found the one. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come and meet Jesus. She preaches and everybody. Listen, she asked all her questions to Jesus. Take your questions to Jesus. And so here's a side note. That's the first thing. That goes to everybody, all y'all, be like her. But secondly, here's a side note. The whole scandalous thing where, she's, where he's talking to a woman, I, I think we often bring that up and then we just leave it. Jesus was talking to a woman about God. And that's really weird. They didn't do that back then. And then we just leave it. We just say it and then we leave it. 
Well, there's a huge application to that. A massive implication that for whatever reason, we just leave and we don't talk about because maybe it just makes us uncomfortable. But here's the deal. All y'all need to be like her, but specifically hear me on this. Women, females, ladies, y'all in the room. I'm only talking to you on this. You are allowed to know theology. You are a full-fledged Christian. Jesus loves you as much as he loves any him out there. You don't need a male representative to go to the rabbi and ask him a question. He will speak to you. And girl, preach. Go tell somebody else about what Jesus has done in your life. You are not a second-class Christian because you are a female. He loves you just as much. He has gifted you. The church is weaker without female theologians and female leaders. We need that. Men do not represent you. You are made in the image of God with giftings and unique abilities. You are, each of you are. And your husband needs you. Your world needs you. Your church needs you. Your children need you. You are a full-fledged follower of Jesus. Look at verse 28 through 30. Then the woman left her water jar and went into the town and told the people, come and see. And they left the town and made their way to him. Verse 39, and now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. The woman preached and people came to Jesus. You are a full-fledged voice and representative of God. I understand why we got that way. There is a theology that we believe, that I believe, that I still believe, in that the pastorate is reserved for men by God's design. I understand that. But for some reason, the the focus on that one thing that women cannot do has excluded them from all of the many things that we need women to do. Sister, you are not relegated to taking care of children and cooking breakfast. That is not the only way that you can serve a church. You can serve a church in just every other way that men can serve the church. And maybe you feel like that does not need to be said, but I would tell you this, it does. It needs to be said and you need to hear it. The other encouragement is for everybody. And I could say this a million times to my own heart and to your heart, but we need to hear it once more. He actually does love you. Actually fully knows you. He knew everything about everything he was buying on that cross. He knows you best and loves you still. We can look at Nicodemus and go, of course, everybody likes that guy. I like that guy. I've never even met that guy. But would he like her? Would he love her? And the reality is, yes. In chapter three, remember that verse, the verse we all know? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And then you would walk away from that going, but does he really? I mean, it just sounds like a nice thing. It just sounds like a nice thing to say, does he really love all the people of the world? And chapter four screams back, yes. Yes, he really does. Exhausted and hungry and tired and by himself with nobody around to judge him, with nobody around to say, I thought you said you were a preacher. He actually loves her. Look at the very ending, verse 41 through 42 of chapter four. Remember, keep those words ringing in your mind. God so loved the world 
Many more believed because of what he said, Jesus said, and they told the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the savior of the world. John four answers John three with a resounding, he really does. He actually does love you. When I think about this story, one of the things that pops in my mind because of the biblical studies behind it and stuff is the, is the time that I asked Jackie to marry me. And it wasn't so much as a question as a statement. She had a class, an evening class, Tuesday night, and I went and picked her up and I had already given the waitress at this restaurant that we really liked a bouquet of flowers and they held it in their, in their refrigerator. They kept it nice until we came there later. And then after we were done eating, they brought the bouquet out and I had the ring in my pocket and I looked at Jackie, I gave her the flowers. I showed her the ring and I said, marry me, all right? I said it without much fake confidence. <laughs> marry me. And there's no options. And she said, yes, but you know full well that was a question. <laughs> please, 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 please. That's what I actually said. Marry me. She said, yes. She took the ring. She took the flowers. She was excited. We were excited. Strangers were excited. The waitress was excited. All that sort of stuff. And then we left there and we went to a job interview. Um, for me, because it's way easier to get ministry jobs if you're engaged. And so <laughs> I got that job. I got that job and that girl. And uh, it was a question that changed my whole life. Some questions are just conversation. How's your day going? You staying warm? You know, that kind of thing. Then there are procedural questions. What do I do next? Well, you put your blinker on, you look both ways and you go procedural questions, but then there are questions that will change your entire life. If that girl had said no, my whole life would be different. But she said yes, and my whole life is better. So, we all come in here, we all woke up this morning with questions, physical questions, relational questions, and spiritual questions. And what I'm telling you is the same thing that she found out, that Jesus is the answer to those biggest, hardest, embarrassing, and scary questions. Jesus is the answer. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.